Welcome to Breitbart News Daily. Thanks so much for being here. We spent the second hour, uh, mostly phone calls the entire hour, after this opening segment here, uh, where we, we dropped the new, that's what the kids say, they, you drop something, like, like a nounce, I think. I don't know. We dropped uh, the new PC term for illegal immigrant, uh, which is exciting. So you may, you may hear it here first, but you will hear it nonstop all the time moving forward. Uh, I don't think we took any calls in this first segment, but the the next the rest of the hour we did. So if you subscribe to SiriusXM, then you can uh, you can listen to the entire podcast. And a friendly reminder as well: we're going to start broadcasting the second two hours of the show on the first TV on Tuesday, starting on Tuesday every weekday. So that's uh, Directv Channel three forty seven, uh, and then all your streaming platforms. The first TV, uh, the first TV dot com, and the first TV app, of course, all of it's free, and you can watch the two hours of the show there. Uh, but here is our uh, segment on the new term for illegal immigrant. And also, are we going to be facing a third amendment crisis? <laughs> third amendment? What's the third? Am- we'll explain. We spent a lot of time on this yesterday in the six o'clock hour. It's getting more insane by the day. So a couple weeks ago, and I want to tell you what the, the new word is for illegal immigrant. They have a new PC word for it. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about the 2000 illegal immigrants that they're going to put up at this airfield in New York City. Okay. So they put up some tents for the, for the illegal immigrants. Well, it got cold and wet. So they said, hey, let's put these people in a school. Now, they did this in Chicago. It was an abandoned school. There's no one in the school. And even then, the people of Chicago were outraged that they were having that many illegal immigrants, even in the, the school that was just an empty building. But the people in New York City were like, hey, let's put them in this school. And people said, well, hold on. There's kids in the school. Ah, send the kids home. So now we have illegal immigrants in the school. We're trying to get the city council member from that district. We may have her on early next week. So now we have illegal immigrants in the school. As we said yesterday, there, there can be no greater example of America not first than that. Although I shouldn't say that. I don't want to issue the challenge. I'm sure they'll come up with something. Okay, so we kicked the kids out of the school for the illegal immigrants. Okay, that's insane. Now, Elon Musk, he actually tweeted this out when this story broke. And he said, you know, the next thing is housing these people in your home. Now, I'll admit that sounds like a stretch. Sounds like they wouldn't go that far. No way that would happen. Then people came back and said, well, it almost already has. This is the governor of Massachusetts. If you have an extra room or suite in your home, please consider hosting a family. Safe housing and shelter is our most pressing need. Become a sponsor family. You can contact the Brazilian Workers Center for more information on how you can step up if you're willing to have an additional family be part of your family. Okay. Did anyone in Massachusetts become a sponsor family? Oh, gosh, I'd love to know that. We have to figure that out. Did a single family... Oh, I want to call... What is it? The Brazilian whatever? I want to call the Brazilian... 
like services company, whatever, and be like, hey, I would like to, I would like to host a family. And I guarantee the person on the other line would be like, really? Oh, um, no one's ever called about them. Um, hey, Nancy, what do we, this person wants to be us, wants to sponsor a family. I know, crazy. Um, what do we do? Okay, there's no way anyone call. Did a single progressive family in all of Massachusetts open up their home to any of these single men to, li <laughs> to live with them? Here's the mayor of New York. Uh, to take the next step to this, to go to the faith-based uh, locales and then move to uh, private residents. Uh, there are residents who are suffering right now because of economic challenges. They have spare rooms, uh, they have locales, and if we can find a way to get over the 30-day rule and other rules that government has in, in its place, we can take that $4.2 billion, $4.3 it may be now, that we potentially have to spend, and we can put it back in the pockets of everyday New Yorkers, everyday houses of worship, instead of putting it in the pockets of corporations. Okay. So all of a sudden, this is all voluntary. Yes, 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 for now it is. How far of a jump is it? Maybe it's a huge jump. Maybe it's a huge jump. That's fine. If you want to say Slater, no, no, no. Way too big of a jump. <clears throat> okay. How far, though, of a jump is it between uh, forcing kids out of a school to forcing illegal immigrants into a home? I don't know. How, uh, how far is it to pay an illegal immigrant's rent for two years, like they're doing in Brunswick, Maine. We talked about this story yesterday in your phone calls. We had a couple calls from Maine calling in. Uh, made its own story on Breitbart.com. It's up there right now. Paying the rent for two years for an illegal immigrant. Is it a, is it a huge difference between that and then forcing illegal immigrants into your home? The Third Amendment of the Constitution was one that never seemed relevant and seemed like it would never be relevant. It's uh, the Third Amendment to the Constitution says, no soldier shall in time of peace be quartered in any house without the consent of the owner, nor in time of war, but in a manner to be prescribed by law. So no quartering of soldiers in your home. That's what the British, British used to do. So one day, if we continue down this path, we are going to have a Supreme Court case uh, on the definition of soldier. And they'll say, well, it says no soldier shall be quartered in your home. But this illegal immigrant's not a soldier, so it's fine. It's okay to do. And then what about prescribed by law? Well, we passed a law that certain people have to open up their homes for certain periods of time. So it's okay because it's written by law and we're allowed to do that so the Third Amendment doesn't apply here. Maybe I'm exaggerating. Maybe I'm way off. But of course, when asked to voluntarily take anyone in, no one, no one does. Would you sign this pledge today to open up your home no. to house migrants? No, never, never. No. No. Would you be willing to sign a pledge to house migrants? I mean, I don't think, I, I think we're just going to keep walking, but sorry. <laughs> sorry. Well, not my home, but I think that's a great idea for them to. I think it's a good idea here. for other people? Yeah. But not you? Yeah, not me, though. Okay. We're in support of people doing it. We just can't do it at the time. But yeah, just can't do it. It's busy. 
But it should, it should be someone should do it. But not me. And that was the whole point of all of busing all these illegal immigrants to, to New York City in the first place. Making it you. All right, so what's the next step of all this? Back in 2016, San Francisco voted to allow non-citizens to vote, including illegal immigrants. So there's non-citizens and there's illegal immigrants. A non-citizen would be someone like on a green card or a visa. You're here legally, but you're not. You're still not a citizen. So they allowed non-citizens to vote. And I remember when this happened, I was in San, uh, San Diego, and they're like, oh, no, it's just, um, it was just green card. It's just non-citizens. And we're like, no, I'm pretty sure it's illegal immigrants. They're like, no, no, no. And then, of course, it's illegal immigrants, too. So illegal immigrants can vote in local school board elections in San Francisco. And the argument is, oh, but they're, they're here. They're involved. It affects their children. They should have a say. And it's the same thing here. Like, they're going to argue for that here, too. We, we, in the last hour, we mentioned how the Democrat, Dick Durbin, like, so like a mainstream Democrat thinks that illegal immigrants should join their military. So it's the same argument. They'll say, oh, the illegal immigrants are here. They're involved. They're, 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 they're uh, active members of the community. They're paying taxes. They should have a say. No taxation without representation. So, of course, these people should vote, even if they're not citizens. So they'll get, these people will vote now. They'll be allowed to vote eventually. And it won't stop there. You know, they, uh, the left controls the language, obviously. And they keep using the word migrant. That word makes no sense. It doesn't apply here at all. Birds migrate. Uh, these people are not migrating. Migration implies you're going back. to a, Like birds migrate south and then they come back for the winter and then they go back down for the south. Right, they they go back and forth. These people aren't migrant. They're not here to pick strawberries and then go back to Venezuela when it's not strawberry season. Like there's, they're they're not migrating. So migrant doesn't work. It doesn't it doesn't work at all. But they have another word for it. Sorry, I'm looking up at the TV now. We're, we're this is our like dress rehearsal day on the TV. So look at the TV and producer John put up a B-roll of these guys on trains. <laughs> like they they will not be taking the train back. You with me? That's a one-way train. They're like on top of that train. They're not going back. They're not migrating back in the summer. So they have a new word. The new word they're going to start using more often is not undocumented immigrant. You've heard that one for a while now. It's been around for a long time. The new word is Undocumented citizen. How about that? Undocumented citizen. That's all these people are. Who is this 19-year-old male from Venezuela who illegally broke into my country that I'm paying rent for? In Maine. Who is who is this person? Oh, that's a that's an that's a fellow undocumented citizen. No, 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 no. Not fellow. I'm a citizen. What is he again? Oh, an undocumented citizen. Hmm. So the line between citizen and illegal immigrant will continue to be blurred. And now the only difference between you and them is a single word. You're documented. And they're not. But you're both citizens. You're both citizens. Now, you're already a subject, actually. 
call one of the callers from Maine yesterday said their property taxes went up 7% to pay for the rent and housing for illegal immigrants in Maine. That makes you a subject. You are forced to work for the livelihoods of not even a fellow citizen, but of an illegal immigrant or an undocumented citizen. Of course, you see the goal here. You see the confusion, right? The intentional confusion. See the, it's, it's intended to. And this, this came up yesterday, the difference between ineptness and wickedness. Inept's one thing. We can put up with inept. We can put up with the DMV being inept, as bad as that is. But when you get into wicked, that's a whole different level. So the left says you can't discriminate. They've said this for a long time. You can't discriminate. The, the original Webster's definition of to discriminate. You got to go. So there's a website. What's the website? Webster's Dictionary, 1828. Don't go to any other dictionary. This is the dictionary. This is your dictionary, Webster's Dictionary, 1828. It's the original dictionary. It is so much better than any other dictionary today. The, the words, the etymology, the sentence that they give, it's just the, it's the dictionary. And there's a website for it. Webster's Dictionary, 1820. So if you look up discriminate, the word means, and because that's a terrible thing, you can't discriminate against someone. Oh, it's good. It's awful. Terrible. No discrimination allowed. Uh, the Webster's Dictionary says uh, to distinguish. To observe the differences between. We discriminate all the time, of course, for good reason. You distinguish. You make, you make observations about differences. But to properly discriminate, to properly, make, to pro- properly distinguish and make differences, you need clarity. Clarity is good. We all prefer clarity. I can't, is, there, is there a situation where clarity is bad? I don't think so. You wouldn't drink cloudy water. Diamonds are priced according to clarity. But politicians try to confuse you so you don't have clarity. And the term undocumented citizen intentionally blurs the distinction between citizen and non-citizen. It's meant to confuse. So citizen, a citizen of America is now someone who happens to have been born here. And an undocumented citizen is an American who just happens to have been born somewhere else. It's just, it's just the luck of the draw, and that's not fair. That's not fair that our, our circumstances of where we're born determine things. We're all Americans, people. I mean, we're all global citizens, but in this case, we're all Americans. You, me, the guy from the Congo, this Venezuelan guy, we're all citizens here. You happen to just be a documented one. Part News Daily. Thanks for being here. We talked to John Nolte for half an hour, and I could talk to John Nolte for many hours. Uh, but I want to play for you here the segment we did with Frances Martel, the Breitbart World Editor, who's just brilliant. Just like love her, love talking to her, makes things so clear. And just, she's one of the, our guests that I, I go back and listen to part of it again. I was like, I was like, oh, I need to really remember what she said about this and what she said about the Saudis. And I asked her a question between the difference between what Trump did with the Houthis. And what Biden has done with the Houthis, because we know we had four years of Trump and three years of Biden. We know exactly what each did. So let's like be able to clearly articulate the differences here. And she's just like, like gives a perfect answer. Uh, so I love talking to her. Here she is. Francis, how are you? Doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Great to talk to you. So let's talk just news first. What happened yesterday? And then we can go into the backstory of who these Houthis are, et cetera. 
Absolutely. Um, so the U.S. and the British military have announced targeted strikes on uh, Houthi uh, targets in Yemen. They didn't really specify exactly what they were targeting. The British military said that we hit about 60 targets in Yemen that were intended to neutralize um, the Houthis' ability to disrupt commercial shipping. Um, there's some indication that what we hit were, for example, bases where they kept their armed drones so they couldn't be sending the drones out to attack commercial ships um, and other kind of weapons facilities. The Houthis say that 72 targets were struck, um, and, you know, they're vowing revenge, and they're saying that this is unjustified. And then the funniest thing, the government of Saudi Arabia coming out and saying that they would like to see some restraint on the part of the U.S. and British military after the Saudis have been bombing Yemen for, uh, let's see, since 2014, <laughs> so almost a decade. Um, so that, that to me, was the, the dark humor lining of that. But basically, targeted strikes intended to um, limit the Houthis' ability to disrupt international shipping. Okay, so let's back it up a second. The reason this matters is because any ship coming from where exactly has to sneak through this little strait here between Yemen and Djibouti, through the Red Sea, and then up into the Mediterranean Sea, to get to Europe and then through to America. Otherwise, they have to go all the way around Africa, and that's a longer way to go. Um, mm -hmm. So, and now I'm now seeing all these maps. I don't know what you've seen of ships indeed doing just that. Uh, so, are, are ships avoiding the Red Sea now in, in a great way? Yes, absolutely. According to the Financial Times, we're seeing a 90% drop in the number of ships in the Red Sea wow. year on year. So between the, the number of ships in January 2023 versus January 2024, 10% um, of what was there in January 2023 is there now. And those maps that you talk about, if you look at the maps, um, southern Africa is just being inundated with commercial ships. And that's a huge problem because those ports are not equipped for that kind of traffic. I mean, the Cape of Good Hope was the like Christopher Columbus era route, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not a route that's being used right now. So um, that is another huge problem. Okay. Um, Yemen. So last time we talked about Yemen, we talked about Iran. Mm -hmm. So, but now the reason I really want to have you on is, is to talk about Saudi Arabia's involvement. So, t tell us what 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 what's the deal there? So, the the Houthis are a Shiite terrorist organization that Iran actively bankrolls. Um, they staged a, an attempted coup in 2014. They took out the legitimate president of Yemen, who was Sunni and who was supported by Saudi Arabia. And that triggered a civil war that is technically ongoing today, kind of the same way the Syrian civil war is going on, but Bashar al-Assad is clearly in control. Um, the Yemen civil war never quite ended, but the Houthis control the country. They, they control Sana'a, the capital. They control the major ports. Um, so they, they're technically in charge. Um, the, the time between 2014 and now, Saudi Arabia was actively engaging in helping the, the legitimate government try to take over the country again. Um, and they were, you know, attacking Houthi targets. And the reason they were doing that was because the Houthis were bombing Saudi Arabia. Um, the, the big memory I have is, I believe it was in 2022, the Houthis bombed um, some oil storage facilities in uh, Jeddah while there was a rehearsal of an F1 uh, race, like a car race. Yes. So there are these crazy videos of the, the stadium where the cars were racing, and then in the background there's just a giant fire. Um, so that shows you kind of the contrast of Saudi Arabia wants to be a modern tourist destination, and then they've got 
these Houthi terrorists just, you know, using the most rudimentary bombs to target Aramco, which is their cash cow. Um, and so that's what the Saudi interest here is, is that the Houthis are actively attacking Saudi Arabia. Um, and, you know, uh, I think Trump was very amenable to the Saudi side of this because the Houthis are, you know, death to America is part of the official Houthi slogan. Um, and then Biden comes in and says, Saudi Arabia is a pariah and we're going to start limiting weapons sales, offensive weapons sales to Saudi Arabia, and we're going to tell them to back off of the Houthis. And then we delisted the Houthis as a terror organization. So the Houthis are not officially a terrorist organization because um, Anthony Blinken said so. Um, so that's kind of where we are now. And the Saudis are clearly livid at <laughs> our handling of the situation. Okay, but uh, why though? So, I just want to be, so Iran is back in the Houthis. That's like the terrorist group. Mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia backs the legit, legitimate government in Yemen. Mm-hmm. So then we come in and we attack the Houthis. Wouldn't Saudi Arabia say, hey, thanks? Well, we're only attacking them after removing them from our list of foreign terror organizations, which allows them tremendous financing. Getting off the terror list makes you legit, which means you can use banks. You can, um, you know, as an organization, you can be funded. You can receive that Iranian funding a lot more easily. Mm. So we delisted them, allegedly because Blinken wanted to send humanitarian aid to the Houthis to help the Yemeni people, and you couldn't do that if they were a terror organization. Um, We delisted them, we sent the aid, and then the Houthis stole the aid and started recruiting child soldiers. Um, So that's that's how that went. Sure. Um, So we we greatly empowered them, and now they've become a a global problem. They're no longer a Saudi problem. And now we decide to do limited targeted airstrikes, which was what the Saudis wanted to do, you know, five years ago. So that's why the Saudis are upset. Interesting. Why why did we think we were the ones who should be giving aid to the people of Yemen by means of taking Houthis off the terror list as opposed to Saudi Arabia helping the people of Yemen or any other country? Like, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't want to be all America first on you, Francis, but <laughs> why, why did we feel that urge at all? No, it's a great question because you allow me to explain how this designation works. Um, the Saudis can't help the Houthis if they're on the terror list because then they risk violating our sanctions uh-huh. and they risk triggering a backlash from us. So that was the issue. It wasn't necessarily that we wanted to send directly U.S. money. It was that the World Food Program and all these U.N. people and NGOs couldn't send money there because they were afraid that they would violate our sanctions and then they would get in trouble with the U.S. government and they would have legal problems here. Okay, so then what? Okay, so that's interesting. So then, wouldn't it be okay that Biden did that? Well, the problem is that to do that, this is the Afghanistan problem too. By the way, is you have to trust that if you send aid into this country and give it to the Houthis, that the Houthis are then going to distribute it to the people. And because they're a terrorist organization, they did the exact opposite of that. They sold it. They used it up for themselves. Um, the Yemeni people are still starving, still racked with disease, um, still racked with drug addiction. Um, the Houthis just took the money and, and ran. And, and again, that's what the Taliban did. We, the UN has been sending aid to, to Afghanistan, allegedly because the Afghan people need it, and the Taliban just steal it. And then they, you know, they give some crumbs to the people and film it and put a propaganda video out about how great the Taliban is. Yes, right. um, the Houthis did the same thing. How would you characterize the difference between how Donald Trump and this is one of the things with the election is it's I don't know if this ever happened before where you have 
like an A B tat. Like we, there's no mystery. There's no well. How would the this other candidate have handled it? Or like we know, like either four years of how Trump yeah. handled it, and now we've had three years of how Biden have handled this. How, how would you characterize the difference between the two? Um, it's it's just gigantic because the the Democrats in general. It's not just Biden. It's very much an Obama thing. Uh, took the side, the Iranian side, in a lot of Middle Eastern disputes, whereas um, the Trump administration took the the Saudi, Jordanian, the Sunni side, the UAE side. Um, I think what the big difference would have been here is Trump was selling weapons to the Saudis to take out the Houthis so that we wouldn't have to get involved. Mm. Um, And the other thing that he was doing was trying to facilitate diplomacy between Saudi Arabia and Israel with the argument that Iran is a bigger threat to Saudi Arabia than Israel will ever be. Israel has no interest in, you know, seizing Mecca the way that the the nutcases in Tehran do. Um, And that would have led to a a moment of peace, you know, between Saudi Arabia and Israel. And they would have been rewarded. The Saudis would have been rewarded in that with U.S. military support that would have taken out the Houthis. Instead, Biden comes in and tisk tisks the the Saudis for attacking the Houthis and rewards the Houthis by delisting them and greatly expanding their financial potential. Um, That's the big difference. And he did that to placate the Iranians because the, the sort of psychology of the Democrats is that Iran hates us because we were mean to them and that if we're just if we if we're just nice enough to the Iranian government, they'll eventually stop chanting death to America. And the reality is not uh, consistent with that belief. Wow. Uh, perfectly said. Um, another thing about Saudi Arabia, you wrote on Breitbart.com the other day that Blinken, our secretary of state, said that uh, peace in the Middle East will require a Palestinian state. That seems to be different than the Trump administration as well, right? Oh, 100%. I mean, the the deal with the Abraham Accords and the way Trump was handling that was so um, pro-Israel and, and so successful to a point that in September of, of 2023, last year, uh, Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, gave an interview to Fox News where he was talking about the potential of peace with Israel. And he didn't even mention a Palestinian state. And it was a huge milestone where, like, everyone, you know, the Mideast experts watching this interview were like, wow, he's not even talking about this. And there were reports that came out, allegedly, that the Biden administration was trying to elbow itself into these negotiations and demand that there, that Israel concede some political power to the Palestinians that the Saudis were not asking for. Um, the Saudis are not, my, my impression is that the Saudis are not interested in relitigating the existence of a Palestinian state forever. What they want is to build um, luxury destinations for rich people all over the place. They want to compete with Dubai. They want to compete with Miami. They want to have their own Coachella. They, they don't care about the, you know, insane radical Islam of Hamas or, you know, the Mahmoud Abbas and all these people. They want to make money. And this is a huge hindrance because they have a population that has been radicalized by a Wahhabi school system for decades, and they can't make that transition quickly. So because of the way Biden has handled this, they have to go backwards in their diplomacy. And now not only is MBS calling for a Palestinian state because Blinken is clearly pushing for this, he's demanding that Israel give up East Jerusalem so that the Palestinians can use it as a capital. Um, And why, you know, the question is, why should we give concessions to the people who conducted October 7th? 
Why, how do, how do we go from, you know, the mass murder and mutilation of civilians, including infants, to, you know, maybe those guys deserve a country. Um, and that's what the Biden foreign policy is right now. It's amazing. That, by the way, that uh, luxury destination approach was the same approach that Trump used on North Korea. Right. It's like, look at this beautiful yeah. real estate property you have. You can have hotels. And, yeah. yeah. And I, I don't know. I remember he was mocked uh, for it, but that, that is his expertise. Um, uh, Francis Martel, I know you're the, the world editor, um, but do you have any insight? We've got about two, two, three minutes. Do you have any insight into how we should be thinking about our border crisis uh, based off your expertise of the countries to our south? Uh, yes. I mean, uh, I'm looking at Ecuador right now, which, by the way, I think the Ecuador situation is the most important international news happening right now, more important than the Houthis. Um, and they have a war, a civil war on their hands between the gangs and the government. And the first thing that the president said when he declared the war was, we're going to go into the jails, we're going to find all the foreign nationals, and we're deporting them. They're out. We're not, we're not keeping gang members from other countries. I don't care what the other countries do with them. We're kicking them out. Um, and this is Ecuador. This is not, you know, a, a superpower here. Um, Pakistan has deported tens of thousands of Afghan nationals back to Afghanistan um, to, to great international condemnation because they're getting, you know, condemned to live under the Taliban. Um, but Pakistan is doing it, you know. Um, so the idea that we can't have a, an orderly deportation situation um, is not true. Um, I think the, you know, the, the solution to the southern border is very simple. Just have a system where people are apprehended and sent back. It's, you know, it's not that difficult. The law is there and no one is enforcing it. Um, and I think if you look at countries around the world that are, you know, smaller than us, have smaller issues with this, um, and especially in Latin America where you have, you know, the Venezuelan migrant crisis is deeply affecting Argentina and Chile and Colombia, um, you'll see that these countries can do it. All they have to do is enforce. All they have to do is empower their border security, empower their officials that are there to, to take people that are illegally here and, and send them back and, and to modify the, the asylum claims so that we have only people who are legitimately political refugees using that system. Which none of these people are. Uh, there was a suggestion by a caller earlier, and, and, I, and Trump's made this point too, that, uh, well, back in 2015, he said they're not sending their best, but there's even a suggestion that, that they're emptying out their prisons and insane asylums, et cetera, into America. Do you have any evidence of that? Or is there any uh, suggestion that that may be a thing, whether purposefully done or in effect? I, I don't think anyone's purposely doing that, except for maybe Venezuela. The thing that really worries me is this pipeline from... Um, from China, there's a pipeline from China to like Africa to Nicaragua. Um, and Nicaragua is doing this where they're kind of welcoming these international migrants. They're, they're you know, lowering visa um, limits to, to getting into Nicaragua, knowing that there's going to be a bunch of people from all over the world flying into Nicaragua. No one knows who they are. They're not Latin Americans. They're, you know, they're not our neighbors. And they're walking up with the caravans. And, and that, I think, is is the scariest part because it's different. I think there's a big difference between an anti-socialist Venezuelan who is trying to escape starvation and, uh, you know, and communism or, or a Cuban trying to escape communism and, you know, someone from, from Pakistan or Bangladesh that we don't know who they are or someone from China, which is a totalitarian government that has a very good reason to send, you know, agents into our country and, and to have those people fly into Nicaragua 
which is a country that Biden is totally off of Biden's radar. He does not care about um, and having them walk up here. So so that's kind of a big concern I have with that. Well, a proper system would be able to distinguish between all those different uh, peoples and motivations. Francis Martel, the wonderful world editor at Breitbart.com. Thank you, Francis. Well done. Thanks for listening to Breitbart News Daily. We had a phone call today from a woman in Pennsylvania who it seemed like a phone call that was off topic. But it was so on topic, I I couldn't even believe. It was shocking how on topic it was. I don't know if she knew how on topic it was. She crawled into my brain. But we will replay that phone call. And the fact that she's from Pennsylvania is very important to this story about illegal immigration and culture and the importance of it. And we'll do that on Monday show. Hope you have a great weekend. Mike Slater, Breitbart News Daily. Spread the word. All the time.